0: Hey guys, before we get to this week's episode where we talk about the Euros, Copa America and the US Men's National Team, I just wanna let you guys know you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. And most importantly, go down to the show notes down below and join our Euro 2021 Bracket Challenge. All you gotta do is fill out the bracket, who you think is gonna win the Euros uh, this year. And if you win, if you become the person with the closest bracket in our little mini league, you will win 15 dollars straight out of our wallets yep that's right we're giving whoever wins that bracket challenge down the show notes down below a 15 dollars it's completely free all you gotta do is create a footmob.com account and you will be able to create a bracket so go ahead and do that we love to build a community here this is part of that mission so go ahead and do that and yeah enjoy the rest of the show Hello, welcome back to the final third podcast, the world's best podcast for variety soccer news from around the world. My name is Tabura. I'm your host as always, and I'm joined by... Uh, the best co-host in the biz, sporting his Minneapolis City jersey. I'm with Jack. Jack, how are you feeling on this lovely Sunday?
1: Uh, pretty good. We got to go to a live sporting event yesterday. We, uh, you know, the Euros are coming up. Copa America is coming up. We've got so, mu- so much excitement coming up to, uh, to look forward to.
0: Yeah, this summer is going to be a big one. And it's already, you know, been off to a pretty good start. Like Jack said, we did actually get to see Minneapolis City play yesterday uh, when we're c- recording this and they are a fourth division npsl team here based in minneapolis in minnesota so you now that was really exciting to experience that for the first time and we're going to talk about that in jack's lower league lowdown but we have you know an, an entire show to get to and we're really excited to talk about all of it before that follow us on twitter and instagram at final third show uh we're going to be posting a lot of stuff with the upcoming Euros. I'm sure Jack's going to freak out after every single game. and I'm really excited to read those takes. And speaking of the Euros, we have our bracket challenge up and running. We're trying to get at least 10 people in uh, the pool. Uh, If we can't get that, then we might have to cancel. So if you are interested at all in winning $15 for getting a correct bracket in the Euro 2021 tournament, go down to the show notes down below. Click on that link. You just have to. I think you have to make an account with FootMob, and it's free. And by entering that league and that link down below, you'll be entered. And if you win that league, you win fifteen dollars straight from our uh, bro college <laughs> college kid funds. So you know we want to see that competition. We want to you know build our community around this this bracket challenge. So go and join that in the in the notes down below. All right, this is actually my third time trying to record this, but this is AJ at 1221 a.m. on the 7th of June. It's Monday morning, actually, and the USA just beat Mexico 3-2 to win the inaugural Nations League final. Uh, This is obviously the U.S. men's national team corner. I'm putting this wherever I'm putting this because I just need to get this out probably at the top of the show because obviously it's probably what people are trying to listen to. But in this segment, the USMNT corner, I talk about one big story or trend in the USMNT uh, Twitterverse in the the world of the USMNT. And obviously this final was huge. So I thought I'd talk about the Nations League, the trends that we saw, what actually happened and the future of the US Men's National Team and what this win for the Na- in the Nations League means for the team. So let's start off with the first game against Honduras because obviously we lost against Switzerland, but that was a friendly, so you can't really surmise too much out of that a lot of the problems that we've been seeing were on full display in this game despite the 1-0 win we saw Adams's absence hurting us as you does not have the positioning passing ability nor the real self-belief to be an effective number six backup to Adams he couldn't properly cover the back line and left the likes of Brooks and McKenzie exposed he also saw Reyna and Pulisic play a little bit too much hero ball they made dribbles into nothing and didn't really pass the ball to a, let's say, a wide open Josh Sargent. Yet, at the same time, they really weren't convinced themselves that their own dribbles would work. They didn't really commit. They only half committed, and dispossessing them was really, really easy. We also had a midfield play way too timid, Ewell, McKenney, Leggette those three especially were trying to progress the ball and make stuff happen, but played the back pass, they played the safe pass, which really put too much respect on Honduras. If Burhalters system is to work, they need to be able to say, I will play the high-risk ball to get this high reward. That's what Burhalter's system needs to work. You need to have like full commitment to have that press work. And that just wasn't happening from those three. Sergino Dest has also continued his trend of playing the the ball too high and leaving the back line exposed. He doesn't track back fast enough. And Zach Steffen had some nervy moments as well. But we also saw some positives out of this game. John Brooks came up big getting defensive stops as usual. Despite missing the chances, both McKenney and Reyna had shots that very well could have been goals if they're finishing with just a tad better. But the good thing out of this is that these shots were really replicable. Their positioning, their uh, you know shooting form, everything, that's something that can be replicated over and over again. So I'm not really too concerned about that. We also saw a considerable amount of grit to keep pushing onward despite Honduras doing their best to frustrate the U.S. with their time wasting. And to that credit, we also saw burhalter's system begin to work because we began to play with a little bit more pressing and constant pressure that eventually broke down the deep Honduran defense, which obviously culminated in the 89th minute winner from Ciabacchi, who's a header goal to win this game one to zero. But this game left a very bad taste in people's mouths because it wasn't a very convincing win. There's still a lot of things to tinker with our defense, especially our midfield even. There's still a lot to improve on. So going into the Mexico game, We asked, did these trends kind of continue against Mexico in the final? Yes. So let's talk about what happened in the actual game, because this was an insane game. In the second minute, we started off with a Jesus Corona goal off a McKenzie mistake. McKenzie just passed the ball right to Jesus Corona, who scored the goal. A terrible, terrible start to the U.S. team. It It was literally the last thing you want. And to McKenzie's credit, he... That was a rookie mistake from a rookie himself. It was his biggest match. He's only played for the likes of Philadelphia and in the Belgian League. This is his biggest match he's been in ever. So I'm not too concerned that he's going to be like this forever. He's still really young. He still has room to grow. This is his floor right here, making mistakes against Mexico. And if this is his floor, we are going to be okay, I think. In the 24th minute, Hector Moreno almost made a 2-0 for Mexico, but it was called off due to him being just a foot offside. In the 27th minute, the U.S. responded immediately to this offside goal with a corner kick getting headed in by McKinney off the post and Gio Reyna getting the rebound, and he became the second-youngest goal scorer for the USA against Mexico. And what a moment it was for him and his family. In the 43rd minute, Stefan, our goalkeeper, makes a last-man save against Lozano, coming off his line to deny the Mexican international and keep the score level at halftime. Ochoa, in the second half, their goalkeeper, came up big to deny two separate shots on goal. And at this point, the U.S. was really surmounting a kind of a comeback, kind of a momentum shift in their direction. They began to press more, they began to have a lot more pressure, and it really kind of frustrated Mexico. But then in the 67th minute, this is kind of the turn of the tides, I think. Stefan had a non-contact knee injury and goes down. And Ethan Horvath, our backup goalkeeper, replaces him. A real tough break. I hope Stefan's okay. In the 79th minute, one minute after getting subbed on, Diego Yanez cuts inside and just lasers a goal to put Mexico ahead 2-1. to one. Not really the kind of thing you want to have happen. Uh, in the 82nd minute, however, the USA respond immediately, pretty much. With a McKinney header goal off of a corner, instant response. That's exactly what you want to see from the U.S. men's national team. Horvath goes on to make some incredible saves. But at this point, the Mexican national team has the momentum. They have been putting up shot after shot, testing Horvath every single time. Horvath had to make some incredible saves to keep us in the game. And it really seemed like that Mexico was going to get another goal and now 90 minutes gets uh, passes, and we go into extra time. Not a lot of note really happens in extra time until the 109th minute when Lozano takes Pulisic down in the box, and a penalty is called for the United States. It was a long, drawn-out process. Tata Martino actually got sent off because he was touching the ref when he was looking at the VAR monitor, and after this long, drawn-out process in the 114th minute, Pulisic scores the penalty just a great shot into the top right corner and Ochoa was not getting that but in the 119th minute tit for tat I suppose a corner from Mexico gets called it's whipped in and cleared but the referee goes to VAR again and surmises that Mark McKenzie makes another rookie mistake I suppose and handles the ball even though it's barely a handball and a penalty gets given to Mexico and in the 123rd minute Gardato steps up to take it, and Horvath saves the ball. Guessing which side he'll shoot at correctly, the ball gets cleared, and the U.S. men's national team time wastes to win their first inaugural Nations League title. It was such a great moment for the team. And these are kind of the takeaways that I got throughout the entire Nations League, I should say. Like, this is the takeaways throughout the entire tournament. The defense was, is, and still probably will be for the near future, messy. Ream is was serviceable, but he's not a long-term solution at center back. uh transitioning back into a defensive shape was pretty poor because we don't have a nice anchor like uh, say, a Tyler Adams. He was pretty uh he was injured for the first game and came in only as a sub in uh, the final. So because we don't really have a strong a strong presence outside of John Brooks in the defense, it really, really hurts us. McKenzie shows inexperience. I said that before. He's going to be fine. He'll learn. We came out with, in a 3 4 3 shape uh, in the final with Acosta and McKenney in the middle. And they had an on off game, obviously, but McKenney scored the goal. Acosta's uh, pl- passing started rough, but improved. Reyna and Puel 6 scored the goal. Uh, however, they did also have kind of a quiet game at the start. The big takeaways I really want to look at that go beyond just player performance is tactics. Something in the second half really sh- shifted, I suppose. I think Burhalter must have said something in the team uh, in the, the halftime locker room talk because when they came out, it was like they were a new team. In the first half, they were still playing too timid, like I was saying before, playing the easy passes. And they came out in the second half pressing for the ball, waiting for the right moments and committing. Berhalter got them to buy in, and it worked. They were constantly pressuring Mexico, frustrating them, and it worked in our favor to get the win. And this team overall showed grit. They grew as a team within the 120 minutes they played. Instead of bowing down, when they went down twice, they fought back to respond as quickly as possible. From McKinney to Brooks, and of course, Horvath, the hero of the night, this team showed incredible mental strength which is going to be a huge help during World Cup qualifiers. This, in my mind, is a watershed moment. This is a team versus a team for Mexico and the U.S. men's national team. We showed we can hang with Mexico in a high-stakes environment, and that's huge. These players, these guys, they really showed that they have the mentality to win. And the fact that they won this game, it's those, the, the tiny snowball rolling down the hill This is just going to reinforce a winning mentality in their heads and give them the positive momentum, not just for the rest of the summer at the Gold Cup, but going into World Cup qualifiers and eventually hopefully the World Cup. This is the first step, and I'm so excited this is happening. So where do we go on from here? Number one, celebrate, obviously. Number two, get our depth sorted out in the Gold Cup. I'm going to talk about that more in the next coming weeks. And number three, keep everyone healthy. Hopefully Zach Steffen's okay. Hopefully Tyler Adams is going to be all right for the World Cup qualifiers. And yeah, I'm just really happy that this happened. I think this is going to be a really big moment we look back on. I think it's going to be probably the best U.S. men's national team game we get in a while. I think it might be the, the best game since the 2002 win over Mexico, Dos acero <laughs> and what a game it was. Like, if you haven't seen it yet, first of all, what are you doing? But go ahead and watch that. That is it for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, this is the third time I've tried to record this, so I am going to edit this and go right to sleep. Let's get on with the rest of the episode. But let's get let's get started with the newsroom, where it's a an open-ended discussion about three really big stories going on in world soccer, from Europe to the US to uh, South America in this case. Uh, let's get started with, I think, a, a pretty big one that pretty big in American soccer news and maybe a bit overlooked in terms of global soccer but it has a lot of big impacts here for any american soccer fans jack have you been keeping up with mls's new third division league
1: i've heard i've heard some things about it but it seems it seems a it seems interesting it will be interesting to see if they announce more information on it in the coming days but seems mostly like rumors now but it's an interesting concept nonetheless
0: yeah, and what Jack is talking about here and the reason why it's kind of, he's kind of speaking in I I'd say hushed tones about like what's going on is cuz we don't really know what MLS is doing with this third division. We only have a little bit of snippets uh, in terms of news and news releases. So this is basically what we know so far and that is that the USA is getting a new third division league. Uh so for those of you who don't know in American soccer there are 3 quote-unquote, sanctioned divisions with requirements for eligibility. At the top, we obviously have MLS, Major League Soccer. In the second division, we have the USL Championship. And in the third division, we have the USL League One, an independent league known as the National Independent Soccer Association, or NISA. And now MLS is announcing that they're creating a third division to bridge the gap between their MLS Next Academies and the first team. Anyone who knows anything about US soccer knows that since 2014, MLS has had their second teams, or the MLS 2 teams, in the USL championship in League 1. Well, obviously, USL doesn't want to just be a feeder league, and MLS doesn't want to concede control of their own teams, so the MLS is forming a yet-to-be-named league that will begin in 2022 and is expected to be populated by at least half of the MLS teams and potentially some independent teams from the MLS Next League. It's not expected to be a clean and fast break from USL to MLS, but it brings up a lot of questions about the lower leagues. Think about this league like a Premier League 2, but with no uh, age cap, or like the G League in the NBA or minor league baseball with the MLB. Jack, right off the bat, this is like fresh off the presses this week. What do you think about this? Do you think this is actually a good move for US soccer as a whole?
1: Well, I'm not so sure, really, because, you know, it it could be it could be good, but it also almost feels like, you know, MLS is trying to wrest away control from NISA and, uh, you know, the USL League One trying to kind of assert their own dominance over the soccer market in the US, which is kind of worrying because there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on in those leagues. And uh, so I'm i think i think it'll be interesting how they approach this if it's taken and like marketed as something to kind of replace those leagues i think it'll be a really bad idea because part of the joy of like soccer and like making making it more accessible to more people is having that variety of leagues and variety of stories but you know uh, if if they market this as like a coexisting league that that's more meant to like as as is uh rumored like to bridge the gap between academies and first teams then it could be a really good plan because it gets those players maybe better competition regular minutes mm-hmm. and helps their development so it, it couldn't it it depends on how it's pursued i guess is the main thing
0: yeah i i do like that point where it does inherently have to take resources teams and attention away from usl and nisa i mean that's how it it's going to be like I feel like there might be one or two ESL teams that might actually fold because MLS uh, and their new division might take over geographical control of the city that they're in but I, I keep on hearing MLS talk about this new league saying it's going to help development but from the looks of it from what we know right now I, correct me if I'm wrong but this just sounds kind of like a glorified reserve league because yeah. if, if the point is to get you know, these players more minutes against professionals, then what good is it gonna be to have a, a league full of other reserve teams where they're going against other developmenting uh, players and other uh, teams who aren't expressively trying to win? Because there's a big difference between facing the likes of LA Galaxy 2 or FC Dallas 2 and playing against a team full of grown men who are trying to win like phoenix rising or tampa bay rowdies like do you think that that plays a big role in how people are going to view this and if it's actually gonna get success at all
1: absolutely it will it's go it's going to play into that like if it happens such that like you know it's it's almost all youth team teams except for like two other teams then yeah it's going to feel like a glorified youth league and then those those clubs that join it, it, it it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like as much of an accomplishment to uh-huh. win it. No offense to those youth teams, because there's plenty of fantastic players at that level, I'm sure. But, you know, it, it just doesn't feel, it do, just doesn't feel the same, you know. And it, it almost seems like they're trying to uh, follow in the fo- footsteps of, like, the Premier League, because they, you know, they they recently reformed the, like, uh, the youth Premier League into Premier League two, mm-hmm. where like it's like you know uh, all of the, all of the second teams and like the youth teams, the u twenty three teams uh, of those uh, of those big clubs uh going against each other. but if you uh if you start to like mix like professional teams and then these youth teams, then it doesn't really become that, and it's not really fully about development. And it's not fully about like providing that's, the best competition. That's so, so it,
0: very it, true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it becomes nothing really like it, it, <laughs> it, it, it. It's like, it's trying to do so many things, but succeeding at none that that's, that's the worry that I have with this. And I think that's what MLS has to look out for if they're going to do this, because it could end up being that, you know, it, it just tries to take on so many identities that it just, collapses in on itself really yeah
0: jack of all trades but master it's trying to be too many things and you know that that, that's such a really good point i didn't even like really think about that it 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 just sucks to me that there isn't real there isn't really a a strong alternative that i can come up with because obviously the status quo isn't working because the usl wants these mls clubs gone and these mls clubs want to have you know a strong reserve team as they probably should and there's no real coexistence between uh, these two ideas of how lower leagues should be run, save for creating something like this. I mean, do you have any ideas on how they could remedy this problem in the best possible way?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there, there there's one that I can think of, and it's making a youth league like what like what uh, the Premier League has done, where like you have all these secondary or reserve teams, or if you just call it the reserve league, you, it doesn't have to be a youth league just like making a league for all of these other clubs to compete against. Like, so that way, you know, USL has all of their teams still in it. All of their independent teams are still, are still involved. And then MLS gets all of the, uh, either youth development or reserve players getting minutes and they can play against, you know, players who are presumably on a very similar level to them. And, you know, th- I think that's probably what, what you should do. Not trying to create, A new like third tier create like a youth league if if the main goal that's
0: like completely independent from the pyramid
1: yeah like yeah honestly like if if your goal is player development and that's Mm -hmm. what supposedly it is then you create a league that's catered to development not something that like includes every like every uh every club that wants to be in it even though that would be great i'm sure for uh like and sounds great on paper if you want development, you make it. You you cater to the needs of, of of that of that development, and that that's not what what's being done in the status quo. So I think that's what you, they should do.
0: I completely agree. We're gonna cover the story as it evolves because we're just getting the bare bones news out of this. But this is gonna be a pretty pretty watershed moment in terms of the lower leagues in MLS. Let's go across the pond to the managerial carousel part two electric boogaloo we have yeah. two managers making moves and potential moves some canceled moves actually jack why don't you explain first off carlo Ancelotti moving to well moving back to real madrid
1: yeah well carlo Ancelotti, who was at everton after being fired by napoli uh you know he he was there for what a year and a half i i believe for jack, uh, since 2019 Since mid 2019, he took over uh, because Napoli had qualified to the last 16 and then fired him. I remember. So, uh, yeah, so he had been he's been there for uh, a year and a half. But when Zinedine Zidane decided to step down from Real Madrid, there became an opening at a club where, you know, he he was pretty successful overall, like uh, and he decided now would be the time to move back. He even penned a letter saying that, you know, this opportunity is too much for me to pass up. Uh, and that, that's exactly what happened. So he went back to Real Madrid. Uh, Everton, now managerless. Hamas uh, Rodriguez and Alan, who both worked with Carlo Ancelotti at his previous teams in Real mm-hmm. Madrid, or Bayern Munich, I, I suppose, For in the in the case of James Rodriguez as well, or Napoli, as was the case with Alan, are probably... Feeling pretty cheated right now, given that he was a big part of why they moved to Everton. But uh, yeah, he he's back at Real Madrid, and he, you know it, it'll be interesting to see how that develops because it, will will he be able to be successful there? He's a good manager without a doubt, but he, maybe Everton just wasn't the right project for him or something. But we'll see if he can bring it back to them back to their former glory. But AJ, do you think he'll be successful?
0: in doing that. Do I think he's going to be successful? I would like to think so. I think he has that like calm presence that some managers just have that will help the sometimes tumultuous Real Madrid locker room kind of rally around him. And most importantly, and this is one of the, the biggest notes that I wrote down when researching for this podcast episode, he has the tactical versatility to adapt to the ever changing landscape that is Los Blancos. They're right now in between eras, right? They have their old guard who are kind of aging out of the team, and they have some younger players that they're hoping to eventually have rise up the ranks. And when you have those two diametrically opposed viewpoints, or I should say uh, aspects of the team, you need to have that tactical versatility. And the fact that he has not only that versatility, but has won with Real Madrid before with the Copa del Rey and the Champions League. I think that he has the respect to like really rein in this team that Zidane really couldn't towards the end of his tenure. Uh, Jack, do you think this is a good move? And how badly do you feel for Everton fans uh, after uh, Ancelotti is left?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm not sure if it's the best okay. move necessarily. I think like you know, it, it's a, it's a good opportunity for Ancelotti, without a doubt. But you know, I'm not I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get them back up because I think what Real Madrid really needs is an actual rebuild, not just a new manager. There, okay. because they're they're still basing too much of their team around like the old guard, and like there's so many of those players that once they leave, you don't know who replaces
0: them. But
1: I do it, feel it, bad for Everton. Yeah. <laughs>
0: before we get to uh our collective uh pity for everton do you think that if if uh perez allows a rebuild to happen with real madrid do you think maybe not this next season but maybe the season after they can go back to their former uh Galacticos glory
1: i i mean yeah i mean they they were close to returning to it they almost they almost made it to the finals of the champions league remember like Chelsea. It it took the return leg for them to actually knock them out because they were drawing on aggregate. So I mean, mm-hmm. they 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 were they're very close to that same level, and it shows you how good of a club they really are. But yeah, I mean, like if if he allows like a rebuild to happen, they they return in like a year or two, really. Like he, he just has to allow investment. Like if you get Holland or Mbappe, for example, that 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 is. That That is going to set you up for the rest of this because, you know, that's automatically an attraction for players like, hey, mm-hmm. do you want to play with Kylian Mbappe or Erling Holland? Yeah, most players will say. Right. So that that's that that's the kind of thing like they they've just got to put in some good investment and they've got it.
0: All right. Let's talk about Everton because they just lost Carlo Ancelotti. I, I feel for Everton fans. They were on such a hot streak, even at one point getting first in the premier league at some first point after in the game. five He's, games i believe yeah 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 and now they choke down to what is it 10th place 10th in place the yep. yep and their manager has left them uh, in a very uh a sad one-sided breakup who do you think everton should be looking at in order to replace ancelotti
1: I I've seen some really strange rumors, and I'm not sure if you've seen this one. You probably know who I'm talking about just based off of the fact that I'm calling it strange. But apparently, Steven Gerrard is linked to Everton, which I don't think would work. Ooh. That that I can't see that happening. I, I that would just be wild to see him on the other side of the Merseyside derby. It, it wouldn't make sense. But who who do they get that's actually realistic? I I honestly don't really know because there's not many managers out there that are available that i think would want to take on everton uh like i mean you could technically bring back big sam if you want but i don't think they want to do that i I don't (laughs) think they do that i don't think they want to do that which is which is the thing and like you you know who who else could they really bring like zidane's not going to go to everton for example
0: i have four names for you okay okay that that i'm gonna list off and if one pops out, like like, l- let me know. Like, pick one that th- that you think is a uh, good. Because I, I think all four of these are like the right amount of washed up. Not like washed up to the <laughs> point that, oh, no. <laughs> that 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 they're like they're they're just terrible and can't can't make it in top five league. But also washed up enough that they probably aren't gonna take a bigger a bigger job. So I have Lucien Favre, previously of uh, Borussia Dortmund. Nuno, who just got let go from Wolves or uh, mutually parted. Ernesto Valverde uh, tried to lead that Barcelona team back in the day. And Relief, Ralph Ragnick. Ragnick. RB Leipzig hasn't coached in almost two years now, but obviously did pretty okay with RB Leipzig during his tenure there. Do any of those, and and those are some of the, the names that are being linked to Everton, Okay. Which one of those do you think is at least the most likely to make it? Shoot,
1: I oh. Lucian Favre could be one, honestly. Uh, but wait, who who were the middle two that you said again?
0: Just uh, Nuno and Valverde.
1: Okay, it it was Nuno. That's that's who I wanted to talk about. Nuno okay. Espirito Santo would be, I, I think, a solid choice actually because he has Premier League experience. It, it's been proven. Uh, he he's been able to take clubs that have struggled and taken them to solid finishes, getting European uh, competition for two years in a row and almost getting it three years in a row as well. Uh, but the FA Cup loss uh, to Arsenal for Chelsea last year kind of seeded that. But yeah, he, he would be a solid choice. He can implement a system well. He has Premier League experience. You know, I, I think he would be a solid choice, choice for that job. And given that it's already in England, that, that's probably a bit more attractive than a lot of other options mm-hmm. out there and like for example Lucien Favre I don't think he was coached outside of Germany and Switzerland his entire career I if, if I'm remembering correctly because he he's been around that area for a while but yeah it it it, make, it would make so much sense for Nuno to go there in my opinion
0: all right I also agree uh there's a good amount of the Everton fan contingency that agrees with you too so we'll see what happens there Hopefully they can bounce back from this uh, sad breakup. Listen to some Taylor Swift or something. Uh, get back on your feet. Let's move on to <laughs> a, a very funny story. I, I just laughed because I just remembered uh, what happened. Uh, this is Antonio Conte not actually going to Tottenham Hotspur. Jack, I'm going to let you explain this one as well. I want not you explain the, the humor in this situation?
1: Gladly, gladly. Uh, so Antonio Conte, you know, Premier League winner with Chelsea. Uh, yeah. Serie A winner with... Uh, with Inter Milan. He he he's on his couch currently and uh Spurs were interested in bringing him to their uh to their club. And ultimately, the deal fell apart because of a few reasons. So, one as reported by Fabrizio Romano, uh Conte wanted to bring more than four staff members and Tottenham refused to budge on that which is, seems incredibly ridiculous to get Weird, caught yeah. up on that, on that piece when you have a chance to bring someone like Conte to your club. And then second was the, the feeling that there wasn't a project. And <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure how, how many uh, Spurs fans are listening to this, but if you are, I, I think you can probably agree that Spurs don't look like they have a project at all. They, they look like they don't have really any direction to them. Their, their direction is downwards, if anything. And that's not good. Uh, so I, I, Conte, uh, basically ran away from the from this opportunity. He decided he'd rather sit on his couch than manage, uh, for at, le- at least at Tottenham. And you know, uh, I, I I think the funniest part of this is that uh, it was reported that Tottenham called off their interest in Antonio Conte. Yeah, which,
0: right.
1: As AJ told me yesterday, is the equivalent of saying, "You can't fire me. I quit."
0: <laughs> yep, like that—that's—that's that's, that's essentially
1: what it—what it is. Like they already—they fa- already—they already knew they were out of it, and they're like, "Nah, we—I—I we, I quit." Instead, it's—it's it's ridiculous. Uh, but AJ, uh, since we've spent a lot of time on the uh, on the stuff about managers, I'm going to give you one question on this.
0: Sure. Where
1: do you think? Where actually, it's two. I guess. Sorry. Uh, where where should Conte go, and who does Tottenham get?
0: Uh, First of all, I think Conte should stay on his couch, wait for a a bigger managerial position to open up, because with a a manager of his pedigree who wants a a, a project that he can build up to even greater heights than with Inter Milan, I I think he's going to have to probably wait a, a, a little bit more, and in terms of who should Tottenham get, I mean there's not a great list of names I think are going to be willing to go to Spurs. You have Graham Potter, oh. Valverde, matey, Eddie. Howe. I mean, it's like, they're not great names, but they're very much the pickings that Spurs can get. When you have Daniel Levy saying that he's not going to reinvest Keynes's eventual transfer money. Like that's just, that's just crazy from Daniel. Levy. That's just crazy from this entire organization. I can't imagine a really big, a high potential manager taking over uh in this case do you have any any uh inklings on who they can get
1: i mean i, I think you i think you pretty much covered it they're they're really going to be scraping the bottom of the ba- barrel for now like eric ten Hogg, who they were looking at from ajax that would a great his, pick. yeah he yeah, extended exactly. his contract with ajax and given how little people stay at ajax or how, how like it's it's a miracle really that that he <laughs> yeah. decided to stay uh but and you know, uh, I think Eddie Howe is the most likely one. He has Premier League experience. He he led Bournemouth to like at best like twelfth place, I think.
0: They're pretty so, decent, yeah. The chairs. Yeah,
1: that's not bad for, for Bournemouth. But the question is if the experience from Bournemouth translates over to being able to manage Spurs. And I'm not so sure about that. that I'm not so that's sure that's the question.
0: Uh, yeah, Tottenham is going to be in a pretty contentious spot, at least for the next couple months while they try to find a manager. Let's go across the pond again, and this time head south to the Copa America. Uh, let's talk about uh, Colombia and Argentina losing their hosting rights to this iteration of the Copa America that's starting in just a, just a couple of days here a week. Uh, They had to give up their hosting rights due to COVID-19 cases spiking in those countries, so got moved to Brazil, who is also facing uh, spiking COVID cases and also some pretty bad political unrest spurred on by their president, uh, Bolsonaro. Brazil have the second highest COVID-19 death toll in the world, and this has led to protests and concerns from many other Conmebol national federations. Uh, so there were some talks about this Copa America getting possibly boycotted. It doesn't look like that's going to happen, but rest assured, there's going to be a lot of controversy around this Copa America. But let's talk about if it does happen, hopefully, if it does, what's going to actually happen in the competition. Uh, real quick, uh, just to explain the actual format, there are two groups of five in Group A, or the South Zone, it's Argentina, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile, and Paraguay. In Group 5, or the North Zone, it's Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru. Uh, the, they, each team in this group will play the other four teams once, and the top four of the five uh, of each group will move on to the quarterfinals. Right off the bat, I just think that Group A is tough and tougher than Group B, and this is how I see at least Group A ending. I see it being Argentina on top, Uruguay, Chile, Paraguay, and then Bolivia last. So Bolivia misses out on qualifying for the quarterfinals. Jack, do you disagree, agree on how I look at Group A?
1: No, I, I think it's pretty It's pretty self-explanatory that Argentina are going to be first in this group. They should, at least. If, if not, that's pretty sad, honestly. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. Uh, and then Uruguay should be second. You know, they still got Suarez up top and some good names in that team. Uh, Chile and I agree. Paraguay should should come forth. They, they've they been pretty good recently. Yeah. And yeah, Bolivia, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have much hope for you. In can, this you one. can
0: you name a, a Bolivian football player? I'm sure I there cannot. is one.
1: I, I, but... I'm sure they exist. They have a national <laughs> oh, yeah. team. They, they have a national team, so they exist. But yeah. I don't think I could name one.
0: You can convince me to flip around Chile and Uruguay because I oh, yeah. I have to apologize to Chile. I mean, they have a good team. I, I kind of bagged on them last week, but <laughs> like but overall I think Argentina should on paper come out on top. If should if yes. If they bottle it, that's gonna be very bad. <laughs> Group B, I see it as Brazil on top. They are the hosts, they are the reigning champions. Colombia, second, Ecuador, third, Peru, fourth, and Venezuela, fifth. I mean, they aren't that great. They have a lot of MLS guys joseph martinez being one of them but i don't think they're going to be good enough to qualify jack i'm guessing for the most part you agree i know you're pretty fond of colombia so maybe you have them gazumping brazil here i don't know
1: i'm not sure if i could go that far okay. i like colombia a lot but i'm not even sure if i can back them to do that you know they did have a really bad start to world cup qualifying i will say they
0: did they did.
1: uh they lost six to one against ecuador which was very concerning. And it was against six or 10 men for Ecuador as well. Uh, so that was really poor uh, from them. But there's also been a ton of unrest there. I don't think I could back Colombia to come first, especially against going against Brazil on home soil. Uh, I, I think, you know, you're probably right. Venezuela is going to finish last in this. They, they just don't have the same star power as these other ones or same power in general, I mm-hmm. think. So I, I think Brazil, Colombia, I'd say Peru, Ecuador, Venezuela, is my right. order.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, let's hear who you think is going to be the eventual winner, an underdog, and maybe if you want, a disappointing team as well. Well, who I
1: who I really want to win, like in my in my heart, I want one of two teams to win, and that's either Colombia or Argentina. I I want Argentina to win just because. I want Messi to get an international trophy because I have a feeling like this is like his pe- second
0: to last chance.
1: Yeah. If, if, and if he doesn't get one, people are going to can like people have clowned on him now for like saying, like, oh, Ronaldo has an international trophy and he doesn't. And it's like in like in like 20 years, like all the stat merchants are, are going to come out and say, yeah. like, oh, oh uh, Ronaldo is better because he has more international trophies, which is just ridiculous in my in my opinion. So I want Argentina to win it, but it. Honestly, I I've, I think they're one of the most likely to win it. It's Argentina or potentially Brazil, I think, who who are, are the top choices. I'm gonna go with Argentina personally. And okay. you said a Dark Horse and disappointing team. Uh Dark Horse, I'm gonna say Colombia, because they, they they've had some bad moments, but I I I think like, you know, an on-form Luis Muriel and Duvon Zapata, that's a solid combination up top. And uh, for a disappointing team, I'm going to go with Uruguay uh, for an mm. early sort of knockout, maybe in the quarterfinals, actually, because, you know, as good as they are, th- all of their players are getting old. they're They're kind of I, I don't want to say golden generation because I'm not sure if i if you can really call it that because silver uh, generation, silver. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's getting it's getting up there. Bentoncourt. Uh, Luis Suarez, Edinson Cavani, Diego Godín. I mean, yeah, it's it's getting up there in age, and I, I think like, I think they might disappoint uh, quite a few people this time around.
0: All right, all right. This is my list for everyone wondering to see how Jack and I are going to stack up by the end of this tournament. I have the likely winners probably going to be Brazil. I'd love Argentina win. I am uh, I I want Messi to do well because I believe that that's a key to really unlocking his full potential in terms of his legacy. I think for underdogs, I have Chile, who, yes, are they're kind of on the outside of their golden generation, but have the talent to make a deep run, uh, even if they are getting up there in age. And actually, I have for my disappointing team, I have Colombia, who I think Uh, are going to disappoint.
1: You're probably right, to be honest. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
0: They, they, they like you named some of the other good players. I also add a uh, quadrado and Barrios Ospina in there as well. Luis Diaz, perhaps. Uh, but they're still on the outside of their true, true, true golden generation that did really well in the 2014 Gold Cup. And I think this is their last hurrah. And I think that this tournament will mark an end, an unsancrimonious end to their golden generation unfortunately for jack but we'll we'll see how the cope america goes we're gonna be covering it i'm a very big fan of uh football in the americas both north and south so i i'm sure i'll be tweeting about it a lot let's go on to the news in 90 where we have 90 seconds to go over uh, as many sh- uh, short news uh, stories from around the soccer world uh jack do you have a timer or would you like me to pull I, out?
1: i've i've got my i've For those of you who don't know, AJ and I both did debate. I have my old debate timer here, so I've got it ready to go. So I'll start it whenever you start it.
0: All right. Well, uh, we got seven stories. Let's see how many we can get whenever uh, the timer goes off. That's when we'll end it. Uh, And I will begin now. FC Barcelona have signed Eric Garcia, a backup center back from Manchester City. So now he gets to go from Pep Guardiola to Ronald Koeman. Great.
1: And speaking of defenders, Christian Fuchs, former Leicester City and Austrian national team left back, is joining MLS club Charlotte FC ahead of their inaugural season, which would be the most exciting signing in MLS five years ago. Still a good signing, though.
0: Yeah, let's actually stay in America because this is crazy. 3rd Division Union Omaha in Nebraska had a starting defender, Abdul Osumanu, get indicted on federal charges for fraud and money laundering over a dating app scheme where he would fake relationships with people and get them to send him money. In all, he scammed some poor suckers out of $200,000. Like, guy, if you want to scam people from fraud and money laundering just to become a CEO of a healthcare company. (sighs)
1: And across the pond again, Italian club Venezia, based in the canal city of Venice, celebrated their promotion to Serie A by having a boat parade around the canals. Watching the video really strikes how beautiful Venice and Italy is. Compare that with the teams that were promoted from the English Championship, Norwich, Watford and Brentford cities, which I'm sure are way better than Venice, right?
0: Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but Jude Bellingham, I'm sure, at 17, did actually become the youngest player to become... Uh, a, a full 90-minute player in a match for England since Thurston Rostron did so in 1881. And I remember it like it was yesterday.
1: And Thomas Tuchel, after winning the Champions League with Chelsea, the biggest club in the world, has now renewed his contract until June 2024, which going by past experience means we'll have a new manager in about six months. And that's time.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that is good. We didn't get to the last one. Uh, That was just me bagging on Harry Kane, but that's okay, (laughs) because guess what? We do that pretty much every week. (laughs) Uh, That's pretty good. We got through six. I don't know how many many we went through last week, but those are some pretty interesting news stories that we at least uh, got through. Let's go through Jack's lower league lowdown, and it's a bit different this week. Jack, why don't you explain what we're talking about this week?
1: Yeah, well, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, AJ and I went to an NPSL game, Minneapolis City. I'm wearing their kit here, the Crow Win kit, which is my new favorite-looking kit. It's just it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you want to see pictures of it, by the way, you should check out our Twitter. Uh Final Third Show. Yes, uh, but I, I, I was just going to go through the game, you know, what NPSL is, kind of the story of Minneapolis City, and just what happened in the game, and uh, kind of get you excited about NPSL a little bit. So... First of all, what is NPSL? And it's an unofficial fourth tier in the U.S. soccer system. And, uh, you know, it's mostly semi-professional teams where there's some amateur, amateur players and some professional uh, players uh, who all play together. And uh, there are 92 teams in, in total in 14 different conferences in four different divisions. So that might be a little confusing to follow, but trust me, it all works out. And Minneapolis City play in the NPSL North Conference, which is part of the Midwest Division. So that that's that's how that all lines up. And just going through Minneapolis City and what they're all about, you know, they are as they as they proudly state an uncorporate soccer team. And what that means is they don't rely on corporate advertisements. It's all powered by the people. And you could really see that on display when we went to the game, where there were, you know, they had they. All of the stands were on one side of it. They're using uh, the the field of uh, a local college, uh, a local college, Augsburg University, and yeah, it, it it was a it was a really cool atmosphere to see. But there, there are they're no pushovers as well. While they pretty much play with a lot of college students, they've they've got some professionals in there as well, but mostly play with college students uh, from around the Twin Cities. They have actually won the NPSL North two times in a row. So in mm-hmm. 2018 and 2019, there's only been one season that they've been in the NPSL where they haven't won. So that is pretty impressive. And, you know, uh, they they did that in 2018, by the way, going undefeated, which is very impressive. And, you know, they they they're looking to do that for the third time in a Knock row on wood. Yeah, right. But they're, they're looking to pretty good, actually, on the way there, because The game we went to last night might end up being one of the most important of the entire season because it was Minneapolis City against Med City FC, which is based in Rochester, Minnesota, and they were both undefeated four and zero and zero at the beginning of this. And Minneapolis City ended up winning the game two to zero to take control of this race. They are at the top spot, 15 points from five games. They've had eighteen goals scored and only two scored against them, which is really impressive. And, you know, uh it this is this is absolutely huge for them because it, it puts them in control of that of that title race. And, you know, it, it I I'm super excited to continue watching them as they go through this season because they it seems like they could could do it again and get uh, three trophies in a row, but they'll be aiming to do better in the playoffs as they've gotten knocked out uh, both times they've made it in there. So kind of following it in the steps of other Minnesota sports teams, I guess you mm-hmm. could say, but hopefully they'll change that soon enough. And the the game overall, I won't go too uh, far in depth because I know, uh, the, these players aren't exactly household names in the way like Messi and Ronaldo <laughs> are, but uh, Minneapolis City won it two to zero after a goalless first half. Uh, you know, before before the game, or in, in the first five minutes, AJ and I took predictions on it. Uh, he guessed a zero zero draw based off of what he saw. I guessed a two zero win for Minneapolis City. So yeah, got the twenty points. Yeah, twenty points. If only that was a game we predicted. But uh, there were two goals. Uh, Max Stewart, the captain of uh minneapolis city stepped up to take a penalty kick after lionel vane uh a, a midfielder was fouled in the 56th minute and he converted it really well a really well taken penalty and yeah, we got and a video on
0: that on twitter we,
1: we do yeah so if you want to check that out that, that that's the place to see it and then in the 75th minute Kevin Andrews, uh, a forward, scored a goal after it rebounded off the post. So uh, a very scrappy finish, but that's that's what, that's what you're looking for. And one other really funny moment that happened during this game. Uh, there was a free kick that was taken right outside the box. And the ref or someone accidentally blew their whistle early. And Minneapolis City took the free kick before the wall got set up and before the goalkeeper was ready. So they thought they had scored a third goal from that, but yeah. it, it's hilarious. You can watch it on their YouTube channel. It, it it was just hilarious. And like everyone around us was like, is that a goal? Is that is that allowed? Like and <laughs> eventually it got called back, but it, yeah. it was it was pretty funny. And it kind of just shows like what what like you know how what makes lower league soccer so fun? Like moments like that, where like just anything can happen. You feel it and it it just feels exciting. That atmosphere was it was great. There might not have been as ma- as many like shouts as like you know a full like twenty thousand person stadium, but for about one thousand, uh, like probably one thousand people there, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a really good atmosphere and it it was it was fun to watch. AJ, do you have any final thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I've been a fan of Minnesota United uh, since the NASL days, since uh, around 2013. And going to a lower league game in America kind of took me back to those days in Blaine in the National Sports Center. And I would highly suggest anyone that is interested and has an NPSL team or a UPSL team or any USL or NISA team in their area to go check it out. Because it honestly depending on where you're from, can be the right amount of intimate and still exciting. It, it really feels like you're kind of a part of something here because you look around and you see that uh, these players' parents, these players' friends are, are out here, some people out in the community, some people who just want to, like, like us, just want to see a game. And it makes you feel like you're part of a bigger community, especially when you have a team like Minneapolis City who are really, really dedicated in cre- fostering a community around soccer. Uh, and you know, there's food trucks there. It's really fun, and it it, it combines all the great aspects of minor league baseball, of the, the soccer games that you know and love. And honestly, if you've ever been to a high school football game, it's all the good parts of a high school football game, and pretty much none of the bad. So, it, it it's a really fun time. Honestly, you know, so hashtag support local soccer. We are hopefully going to have the head coach and perhaps. Uh, some players of Minneapolis city on the podcast to talk about what it means to like be a part of lower league soccer and what it takes to grow a lower league soccer team. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, Jack, why don't you say like we go to some more Minneapolis city games. I would love to go. With oh yeah, you. of
1: course. Yeah. I, I, I want to go to more of them because I, I want to see us win more.
0: Oh yeah. Like <laughs> Minneapolis city might be the only uh team in Minnesota that might be winning at this point. Uh, right. Yep. I, I should say, men's team because the women's teams are doing fine right, it's the men's yeah. teams who are letting us down uh but with speaking of letting us down Jack why don't you say we get to last week's predictions
1: yeah let, let's get on into it
0: yeah because we actually are for, for now skipping the U.S. men's national team corner and I'm going to record a special section for that after the Mexico USA game so uh, I, I don't know when I'm going to cut that in it could be now it could be later but hopefully I'm happy when I'm when I'm recording that <laughs> hopefully let's go into uh last week's predictions uh we're starting out with france versus wales jack why don't you explain the scoring system uh, for this game and what you saw from this game
1: yeah well uh you get 10 points for getting the result right 20 points if you get the score directly uh or exactly correct and zero points for getting none of it right so in france versus wales this game was perfectly poised to start out it looked to be a thrilling game where like one goal could decide it all. But then in the 19th minute, a red card for denial of a goal scoring opportunity for a handball on the line was doled out to Liverpool's Neko Williams of Wales in the 19th minute. And from then on out, it was all France. Benzema, however, on his return to the French national team missed his penalty. And, uh, you know, Benzema, who's the go-kart now? You called Drew a go-kart. Who, who's the go-kart now? And, you know, he he was pretty met overall. If I'm being honest, a lot of people were raving uh, on it. I wasn't impressed. I wasn't okay. impressed. Drew is better. Uh, but okay. Mbappe got the opener a few minutes later after Danny Ward spilled a really impressive shot from Adrian and Rabio. Uh, and he he had a really fantastic finish to be honest. And Griezmann scored a wonder goal as he always seems to do for France. Mm-hmm. If only he could replicate that for Barcelona. I'm sure mm-hmm. Barcelona fans are thinking. Uh, but and Benzema thought he had a goal. Maybe, but no, because he's a go-kart. Uh, and uh, it hit off the post and was put away by Ousmane Dembele, who on his return to the national team made an impact for only his fourth international goal, which uh, is, is good for him. So it was a comprehensive win for the world champions, but a little worrying given that it took a red card for us to run rampant over a team that, in all honesty, is not very good. Uh, but AJ guessed 2-0 to zero for 10 points. I guess 3-1. to one. For 10 points, I was so close. Wales had like one good attack throughout the entire half. And I was like, oh, I kind of want them to score it. Not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie. But no such luck.
0: Oh, oh well, let's go across the pond in south once more to Argentina versus Chile. In Conmebol's World Cup qualifiers, this game ended one to one. And I'd like to apologize personally to the country of Chile. I'm sure everyone from there is listening right now. (laughs) I made fun of Alexis Sanchez and Claudio Bravo for being the only real recognizable names on this Chile team. And apparently, those are the only two names you actually need. Both sides couldn't create any meaningful chances. Argentina especially couldn't create anything without Messi beyond, you know, errant passes. Lotoro Martinez got taken out in the box and Messi converts the penalty to get them their lone goal. And as I was saying before, Alexis Sanchez, Claudio Bravo, a beautifully constructed free kick from Chile, gave them the equalizer. It was Vargas to Gary Medel to Alexis Sanchez, who heads it home. And Claudio Bravo came up big, and he always seems to come up big against Argentina and Chile, for Chile in general. He is definitely the man of the match in my eyes. He saved some pretty crazy shots from Argentina. But honestly, both sides will rue their chances. Both sides have you know, a fair amount of work to do before the Copa America. I think both sides are going to do completely fine there, but this is one game that both sides are going to want to forget. I said 2-0 to zero for Argentina. Jack said 4-2 to two. for Argentina. We both get zero points for not seeing that the draw was on the cards. Now, let's go on to another international friendly. France and Wales was an international friendly. Let's go to another European one. The Iberian Rivalry jack this is such an exciting like balls to the wall game like what what did you see here i mean it was it was action-packed the whole 90 minutes
1: yeah action-packed <laughs> if if by action you mean substitutes because that was the only thing of note that happened in this game when I, I i'll be honest i didn't watch this game directly but when i went back to watch uh like to do some research on this for this and i saw that uh in the google alerts the only events listed were substitutions <laughs> i knew this would not no be exciting cards at all no cards there was mm-hmm. not a single card there this, this this was another draw in the books between the two regional rivals we talked about how they always seem to draw and this was the most boring one of them all three shots on target in total Wow. zero cards literally wow. nothing of note i i watched the highlights the shots on target weren't even good like they they were mediocre at best they didn't require great saves or anything both sides just played really well defensively like that. That's about it. That that's the only thing that that really is of note, but it will give both sides some confidence going into the euros at least, which especially Portugal need in the group of death. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Spain probably don't need against the likes of Poland and Slovakia and Sweden, but you know, they'll, they'll take the, they'll take the clean sheet. Uh, AJ guessed one, one for 10 points. And I guess two, two for 10 points. Either of those would have been way more exciting than what actually happened, but still, we got the result correct
0: yeah and that's all i could really hope for with a, a game like this uh next up is honduras versus usa in the nations league semifinal. i'm sure whenever uh, I, I put in the usmnt corner i talked about this game in fact I, I will talk about this game so i'll just say in the 89th minute siabachu scored the lone goal to give usa the win it was a McKenney assist uh, both jack and i guessed a usa win i said three to one ten points And Jack's at 2-0, 10 points as well. Also take this next game. It was Portland Thorns versus Racing Louisville in the NWSL regular season. And I I, I watched, I I didn't watch it when it was live, but I I went and rewatched the game. And it was a really dominant win for the expected side. Portland came out and comprehensively beat Racing Louisville in every metric. 28 shots to 4. 25 chances to 4. And most importantly, 3 goals to 0. Angela Salem capitalizes on some chaos in the box with a long-distance strike to open up the score sheet in the eighth minute. Lindsey Horan uh, lays off a great cross to Rocky Rodriguez, who scores right after halftime. And Haran scores a one for her own. Uh, it was supposed to be a pass that was meant for Simone uh, Charlie, but awkwardly bounced into the goal. And, you know, hey, they take those. But a big reason why that goal happened, and if you want to look at the highlights and see kind of a funny moment... The goal happened because Charlie just absolutely destroys Louisville's fullback Fox, like absolutely like lays her out. Didn't even go for the ball. I was really surprised that it wasn't going to be called for a foul. But you know what? Uh, anything could happen in Portland, I guess, is not a saying at all. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack and I both agree that Portland was going to take this. We were right. I said 2-1 to one for 10 points. Jack said 2-0 to zero for 10 points.
1: If only and it was we- called back for a foul. If only. <laughs>
0: Yeah, My, literally, you could have gotten the 20 points and perhaps you could have won this week's version of the prediction game. Jack, I, I'm going to let you go over the scores for this week.
1: Well, if you remember last week, uh, last week we mentioned how we, we agreed on everything and we were like, oh, at least one of us will get a result, correct? That didn't happen though so we yeah. tied with 40 points each but we almost we almost got the perfect it's just uh it's just chile versus argentina if only argentina was more consistent we, we yeah. could have done a little bit better but that that's how it ended up
0: yeah and i think i would like to think that this week we are not going to have another tie i think one of us is going to come out on top let's get into this week's prediction so the last week was a week to forget this week we have a lot of international games to go over. So let's get right into it. We're starting off with a CONCACAF World Cup qualifier, which we haven't really talked about at all. This is a big one. This is a Canada versus Suriname. Uh, it's the last match day. If you want an in-depth look in the last match day for the first round, of World Cup qualifiers in CONCACAF, go check out the Twitter thread I posted on Twitter at Final Third Show. But this is a huge game for the uh, Canadian men's national team's World Cup chances in the first round. Suriname and Canada are level on points, and in order to go into the second round, one of them needs to come out on top, because only one of them is going to advance into that second round. Suriname has battered Aruba and Bermuda pretty heavily, and they are on the come-up due to the team being mostly made up of Dutch dual nationals. Meanwhile, Canada are obviously very good. They have the likes of Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David, Alfonso Dav- uh, Davies. Beyond that, they still have some good players like uh Milan Bor- Boron, uh, Jonathan Azorio, and Tajan Buchanan. I think Suriname is a great team. It's going to be really entertaining to see them in the Gold Cup. But you know, Canada has the French champion and the German champion on their team. I think this is going to be a pretty pretty solid three to one win for Canada. Jack, are you backing the Caribbean? wait is, is Suriname Because Suriname's not in the Caribbean no, they're, it's, uh, they're, it's in South they're, they're next to
1: Guyana they're next okay. to Guyana oh
0: well, yeah I, I I I knew you'd probably know that okay yeah. who do you think is going to win this game
1: well one other thing that you haven't really mentioned is after Canada battered I believe it was Aruba yesterday or I might be remembering that wrong but they beat someone seven to zero it was Aruba last yeah. night it was Aruba they have the luxury of playing for a draw, at least
0: that's very true and, uh,
1: because they have a superior goal differential, which helps them. Suriname have to go all out attack in this. They have to attack from the first minute. And because of that, Canada has some pacey options in, uh, you know, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, Kyle Laren, who can exploit the space behind Suriname because they have to go forward. And because of that, I'm going to say Canada is going to win this one. I'm going for two to one, though. I think it will be a little bit more conservative. If they get the goals early on, they'll sit back on it because they can play for a draw. So that that's what I'm going for.
0: All right. All right. Well, let's go on to another uh, uh, international match. I guess these are all international matches. So I shouldn't even say that. It's the U.S. Women's National Team versus the Portuguese Women's National Team in international friendly, which is the U.S. WNT's. First of a few tune-up games before the Tokyo Olympics. And this is honestly the closest we have to what we can expect to uh, the Olympic roster to be. The last two games the USWNT has played was a draw to Sweden and a win against France. Those were against FIFA ranked number 5 and 4 respectively. Portugal is 29. Most of their players play in Portugal's domestic women's league. And I think that's actually a detriment to the USWNT's Olympic hopes. I know it's kind of off topic, but... I think they scheduled friendlies that are too easy for them. They're also facing Jamaica and Nigeria, who are even worse ranked than Portugal. I think that because of that, it'll be a dominant USWNT win, but we won't learn anything. And perhaps because it's going to be a pretty easy match. I'm saying this, it's going to be like a, a 5-0 win for Portugal. Because it's such an easy match, the players won't be challenged, and so they're not going to try to run the, the score up or try to like really go for it. They'll kind of like start to, to to lay back once they get a lead. So I'm gonna say it's a two to zero win for the women's team. Uh Jack, what do you say?
1: Yeah, I mean the US should win this comfortably. They faced off twice in twenty nineteen and they the US won seven to zero over the two games, four zero and three zero, respectively. I, I don't see it being much different this time around. And I'm I'm gonna go for three zero for the for the US women's national team. I think you're right. It's not gonna show anything really of note, but it should be entertaining and it should include some good goals.
0: All right. All right. Let's go on to Turkey versus Italy, the opening match for the Euro tournament. Jack, as someone who's really into the Euros, why don't you take this one? Who do you think is going to win?
1: Yeah, well, before this started, I pulled out my uh, some of my Euro trading cards for each of these uh, because, you know, I, I, have, um, I have the entire Turkish team on one of these just to pull out some names, you know, for this. But Italy has never lost to Turkey in 11 meetings they've won 8 and drawn 3 the last time they faced off though was 2006 in uh in world cup qualifying this this turkey side is a good one though and it's a lot different than that 2006 side with solid results recently against the netherlands especially and you know they've got solid names they've honestly got one of the better back lines, I think, in the yeah. entire tournament, you know, uh, Demiral and uh, and soyunshu and uh, Selic in the back there that is solid back line. And you know, I, I think they're pretty evenly matched overall. Italy has some good players too, but their defense is aging, uh, but they have good forwards, good uh, youth in the midfield, but. Overall, I don't think either side's keeping a clean sheet in this one. I have Donnarumma in my fantasy uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Euro team, and I took him out of the starting lineup because I don't think there's a chance they're they're keeping a clean sheet. I think that this is the opening game of the Euros. It's going to start off with a bang. I'm saying that these two sides end up evenly matched for a 2-2 draw.
0: All right, 2-2 between Turkey and Italy. Interesting. Well, this is going to be the first one that we actually disagree on. Ooh. And I think it's going to be interesting. I, I also really like Turkey in this tournament. I think they're going to make a big splash. They got the personnel uh, Barack Ilmaz, uh, Ozan Kabak's one that I don't know if you mentioned. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course. They haven't lost a game in 2021. And they even beat the Netherlands to open up their World Cup qualifying account by four to two. If anyone could beat Italy, it's Turkey. But Italy, to their credit, have been really, really good. They haven't lost, I don't think, since 2018 and have a squad that features young guns like Donnarumma, Barella, Bastoni, as well as their veterans like Cialini, Bonucci, Florenzi, I can go on. But that's an immaculate squad. Coupled with the fact that they are playing in Rome, this is an Italy squad that knows they're better and are going to be comfortable controlling the tempo of the game like they usually do. However, I am AJ Tabura, lord of chaos, I don't care if it's Rome. I don't care if it's the opening match. I am predicting a two to one upset oh win for God. Turkey. That's right. I'm going against the grain completely. I think Turkey's gonna take this. I don't I honestly don't even think that's like a crazy pick. I think it's not
1: it's not. I, I, I appreciate the chaos, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do think Turkey's going to make the at least the knockout rounds. I have to look at my, what my bracket looks like, but I I believe in this Turkey team but Jack, do you believe in this English team who is poised to do pretty, pretty well given uh, how the media is talking about them? They're going against Croatia. Who is taking that in this Euro tournament?
1: Well, again, I've got the cards ready for it, Uh, but the World Cup semifinal part two Or more accurately, part four, as they've met twice in between that, Uh, they faced off three times in competitive action over the past three years with each side winning once and drawing once. That being said, though, the tide has very significantly shifted towards England, whereas Croatia won in the World Cup semis two to one. They drew zero zero a year later. And then three months later, England won two to one. Mm. And I think there's a really easy explanation for that. Croatia's squad, that was their golden generation, really, that, that played in that World Cup final. That was the last hurrah of it. They're, a lot of their best goal scorers, Manzukic, for example, he doesn't play for them anymore. Their goalkeeper, Subotic, no longer there. They're, they're, they're so, they're, th- this Croatia team does not look like the one that made it to that World Cup final three years ago. And on the other hand, England have gotten really strong, and they have solid options at really every turn right and because of that you know uh oh i also wanted to mention uh england's friendlies they haven't been great they've just pulled out one zero wins over the two sides they've faced but croatias have been near disastrous Mm -hmm. they lost they tied to armenia for for one and also lost to belgium which i guess is okay because you know it's belgium but they've only won two of their last five games and that was against malta and cyprus that's not good enough because everyone, re- everyone really who wants to have a chance of doing well should be beating Malta and Cyprus. And, you know, Croatia are down, down bad and England seem to be up good. And because of that, <laughs> I'm expecting England to come out on top of Croatia to win this three to one.
0: Three to one. Wow. OK, OK. I agree. England is going to win. Uh, I, we can go over all the names. I, I think you did a good job covering where each team is at. The only thing I'll add is they have good players on both sides, obviously. And I think Croatia could potentially pull off an upset. But for me, there's no guys on this team that are real game changers other than Luka Modric. Yeah. I think they have Croatia have a lot of good role players who, if they play on a bigger team, a bigger club team, can do really well, but there's no main guy, at least at the same level as Luka Modric, and I maybe think that Perisic, maybe yeah, I, I did have a uh, Perisic and, uh, perhaps Dejan Lovren in the defense, like uh, being someone they could rally around, but at the same time, Kovacic and like uh, like who do you even like probably no one other than Perisic and Modric, and so I think that really hurts them when you have England, who have young game changers and old game changers alike to really rally around if they need to make a comeback or make a win. So I'm going to say, I'm, I still think Croach is going to make it a challenge and it's going to be really English fashion to kind of be in a disappointing first game. So I'm going to go with a one to zero England win. I think, I think okay. that's, okay. that's pretty fair.
1: That's fair. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Let's go on to the Copa America, which is also uh, picking up next Sunday. This is the opener Brazil versus Venezuela. And let me get out the way I think Venezuela is going to win this 5-0. to zero. No, no, no. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil is obviously the favorite to win not just this game, but the entire tournament. I don't even have to go over their players because you know who plays for Brazil. You know how good they are. Venezuela, not so great. I mean, it shouldn't really be a contest. Brazil have the talent. They have the form. They've steamrolled Conmebol's World Cup qualifiers, and they have the home field advantage in Venezuela have their talent, which is players for smaller European teams and MLS teams like Joseph Martinez, and their form, which is they've lost four of their five World Cup qualifier games and will probably lose against Uruguay in their upcoming game. This is going to be a pretty comprehensive win for Brazil, in my opinion. This is going to be 3-0 to for Brazil. Jack, what say you?
1: Oh, I, we, I had the same scoreline, so I'm going to have to change it here. Go five uh, zero. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say three to zero, but I I'll start off by, by saying that Brazil should win this the last time they played in November, 2020, which I, I know some Venezuela fans might be looking at with hope where Brazil won only one to zero, but they played their B team against Venezuela's a team. Uh huh. So with Brazil having a full strength squad, like Neymar wasn't even in the squad for that november game for for one uh and yeah i i think i think they should win this pretty comfortably and i'm gonna go i'm gonna go and say four zero i think they're gonna score even more you know why not let's just go for it so four to zero for brazil
0: i like it those are our predictions it looks like that turkey and italy game is the only one we really that's gonna be
1: that's gonna be an interesting one
0: that's gonna be huge i'm so excited for that game I'm so excited for all these tournaments, all these international games. It's going to be such a fun summer. I love international soccer so, so much. Jack, are you feeling confident on these predictions? Do you think that Turk and Italy are going to actually draw?
1: I I think so. I, I, I'm i confident in it. I, I I hope at least because I, I need some good predictions to go my way. Uh,
0: me too. I'm, I'm hoping for that. I'm, I'm hoping uh, uh, Kabak and Soyunuchu really come up strong and keep uh, italy out there but that is it for the final third podcast jack do you have anything to say to our listeners before we head on out of here
1: well as always make sure to check out our twitter at final third show and instagram same thing there final third show uh we really use twitter a lot more but you know if and uh if you want to interact with us that's great on there join the euro 2020 bracket predictor challenge for a chance to win 15 dollars uh you know that that's a pretty that's a pretty nice reward uh so just try uh just interact with us and uh it it will be a fun time
0: yeah uh also give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us on any major platform you can find us on any major platform you can follow us or leave a rating so just go ahead and do that go ahead and tell a friend that you enjoy the show tell them that these guys cover soccer from all around the world and it's really interesting tell your dad because i'm sure he'd love to learn about copa america and the COVID cases down there we're gonna see you guys this thursday when we cover the euro tournament uh in the previews around that for the our deep dive on thursday and we'll see you guys same time same place next monday for our news and prediction episode see ya bye for now